Jesus has a complicated relationship with his Jewish brethren. He's a Jew himself, but also the Messiah, which most of them won't dare acknowledge. The people who surround him are bound to their socio-political reality, born and raised in this world, and very much a part of it, blind to its deeper machinations. Welcome to the machine, as the famous Pink Floyd song goes. But Jesus, being what he is, can see through the machine of human civilization. He is in this world, but not of this world. And that affords him a glimpse of the truth, how things really are. And Jesus says that the truth will set us free. The only question is, are we ready to hear it? And now, let us render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, <laughs> and unto God what is God's. Needless to say, I've been waiting all, moment, uh, all morning for this moment. So if I can quote just a little bit of Shakespeare. Go for it. Friends, Romans, <laughs> countrymen, lend me your ears. <laughs> A reading from the Gospel of John. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham, and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, Yet you look for an opportunity to kill me, but there is no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to speak with you today about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> We've all gotten this phone call, this automated message, nearly every day, sometimes several times a day, for the last couple of years. My wife answers the phones where she works, and she gets this call seven or eight times every day. It is maddening. It's a crummy scam, a lazy attempt to get access to your bank account or your social security number. And as far as scams go, it's kind of a dumb one when you consider that most people are you know, pretty suspicious about extended warranties to begin with. Perhaps that's why they've moved on to disguising themselves as more trustworthy institutions like the IRS or your bank. Or, as we've all experienced at one time or another, these thieves get access to your email list and disguise themselves as you, begging your friends and family for money. Now, the really clever ones even do a little bit of homework. A few church folks once received an email, allegedly 
from me that claimed I was ministering to a cancer patient, that things weren't looking good for this poor man, and that I really wanted to give him $500 worth of iTunes gift cards. <laughs> Just the thing a dying man needs. But I was a bit strapped at the moment, you know, so if you could find it in your heart to buy the gift cards and just email me the codes, well, that would be just swell. You know, all of these sad excuses for highway robbery really make me long for the days of good old-fashioned prank calls, right? I mean, yeah, they were kind of annoying, you know, but they were all in good fun. They weren't trying to rob you or steal your identity. And let's face it, most of them were more creative than the automated calls we get nowadays in the middle of dinner. Now, sure, there were the old classics that probably got reused a little too often, you know. Is your refrigerator running? Well, you better go catch it. You have Prince Albert in a can? Well, you better let him out. But you know, a lot of folks got pretty creative. My, uh, my 10-year-old son, Ethan, was hanging out at a friend's house not long ago when they decided to prank call a local McDonald's. I know the Big Mac is a popular item, he told the woman who answered the phone, but I was wondering if you've ever considered selling a small Mac. Get a job, she replied and hung up the phone. <laughs> I know I probably shouldn't be encouraging this sort of thing, but I thought it was kind of funny, you know. In this jaded, cynical world, there's just something refreshing about an innocuous, prank call, even if it is just another lie. Jesus famously said that the truth will set you free. At the time, as usual, no one understood what he was talking about. But we're already free, his disciples protested in so many words. And to an extent, that was true. While the Jews who followed Jesus were subject to their Roman overlords, a lot of them were, you know, just middle-class working folks, fishermen, merchants, tax collectors. Some were relatively poor, but others, like Joseph of Arimathea and Susanna, were reasonably wealthy. These first-century Jews were regular people, just like you and I. They had a decent amount of freedom to do as they liked within the bounds of Jewish and Roman law. And beneath them all, there were, of course, the slaves, prisoners of war and indentured servants that had no freedom to speak of. Now, the folks speaking with Jesus here, they don't want to be confused with those people. We're the children of Abraham, one of them proudly declares, and we've never been slaves to anyone. Apparently forgetting about those 400 years of bondage in Egypt. But rather than bring up that unfortunate history, Jesus simply reminds them that they have never truly been free because they are captive to the world's sins and to their own. But the truth will set you free. And much as Pontius Pilate will later ask him, I find myself asking Jesus, quid est veritas? What is truth? Truth is hard to come by these days. You might even call it, as some have, a post-truth world. In this miasma of misinformation where you can find evidence to support practically any opinion or belief, no matter how outlandish, the truth is elusive and easily twisted. 
Just consider a few of the things that we are told on a regular basis by think tanks, talking heads, politicians, and their corporate sponsors. We're told that buying more stuff will make us happy, even as global supply chains buckle beneath consumer demand. We're told that there's a labor shortage, when in fact millions of people are ready to work for a living wage and decent benefits. We're told that the climate crisis can be averted by individual behavior alone, even though 100 companies are responsible for 71% of our carbon emissions. We're told that we're lucky to enjoy privatized health care while insurance claims are denied and people are crippled by medical debt. We're told that racism is history when in fact it's our history and our present moment. We're told that every vote matters while over 400 voter restriction laws have been introduced in 49 states this year, 39 of them already being passed in 18 states. Now, to be fair, these are complex issues that deserve more than a soundbite, more attention than I have just given them. But suffice it to say that I can't help but feel like things just don't quite add up. And don't even get me started on shrinkflation. Have you ever noticed that candy bars, cereal boxes, pretty much everything you buy at the grocery store has gotten almost imperceptibly smaller? It's because they have. Shave a few ounces off here and there, hopefully no one will notice that they're paying the same price, sometimes even more for less. Friends, imagine my horror when I first realized that my Reese's peanut butter cup was smaller than it used to be. And it's not because I've gotten taller. <laughs> was it just my imagination or had I stumbled upon a global confectionery conspiracy? Consumer advocate and former Massachusetts Assistant Attorney General, Edward Dworsky, is a leading expert in shrinkflation. As we see inflation picking up now, that's why I think you're going to see more items being downsized, he says. And maybe it's going to be a double whammy. We're going to see some items going up in price at the same time that you're actually getting less in the package. Now, of course, this is less critical than the other issues I'd mentioned, you know, the economy and the climate crisis, voting rights and all of that. But there's just something about messing with my breakfast cereal that feels like a personal betrayal. Now, maybe I'm wrong about some of these things, or all of them, and as always, you're free to disagree with me. I encourage you to think for yourselves and draw your own uh, conclusions. But it seems to me that in ways both large and small, we are constantly being lied to. It's almost enough to make you feel like you're going crazy. But when it comes to gaslighting, that's sort of the point. Being as it's Halloween, I'm going to tell you a scary story. On August 31st, 1944, a couple living in the small town of Mattoon, Illinois, suffered from a mysterious incident. The husband, one Mr. Urban Rafe, awoke to a sickly sweet smell in the air that made him horribly nauseous. His wife wondered if there might be a gas leak in the house and went to check the pilot light in the stove, but she found that she couldn't move, seemingly paralyzed 
by the noxious fumes. In the following days, other residents of Mattoon began to complain of a similar phenomenon, awakening to horrible odors that rendered them ill. And several of them claimed to have witnessed something terrifying. A tall man dressed in black, hiding in the bushes outside of their house, pumping some kind of toxic gas into their window in the small hours of the night. There was also a good deal of physical evidence in these cases. Large footprints were discovered outside the bedroom windows of several homes, and one woman named Beulah Cords discovered a few strange things that had been left behind when she supposedly chased the attacker off. A handkerchief soaked with some kind of foul-smelling toxin, a skeleton key, and an empty tube of lipstick. The mysterious figure came to be known as the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. And today, nearly 80 years later, most people believe that the whole thing was just a case of mass hysteria. As for the truth of the matter, who knows? But I think it's a good metaphor for our times. It almost feels, does it not, as if some shadowy figure is lurking just beyond the edges of our perception, gaslighting us at every turn, telling us lies, and making us believe that we are the ones who are mad. I was at a local curio shop last week, a place that sells all manner of strange knickknacks, when I discovered something remarkable. It was a pair of old leather gloves in a small glass case with a worn label that read simply, The Gloves of the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Being something of an aficionado of local folklore, I knew that I had to have them at any price. But as I brought them up to the counter, the guy who owned the place cautioned me, you know these are fake, right? I just don't know what to believe anymore. Halloween is a strange festival. Unlike some other holidays that whitewash a multitude of sins, Halloween lays bare all of the ugliness of our society. Ghoulish politicians that haunt the halls of power, corporate trolls beneath every bridge demanding a toll, mad gaslighters on the prowl, unseen in the shadows of our quaint suburban lives. Here we see our society for the haunted house that it is, a masquerade, a performance, more tricks than treats. But the truth will set us free. And Jesus' truth is this. We don't have to deceive each other. We don't have to prey on one another or exploit people for everything they're worth. We don't have to be slaves to sin. We can speak the truth and we can call out the lies. In the meantime, friends, have a very happy Halloween. And do try to enjoy those little candy bars, even if they're smaller than they used to be. Amen.